What's up, guys? It's Rhino. It's Throwback Thursday. I'm going to try this again. Every time I seem to get about halfway through the first segment, the phone rings, knocks me offline, and I lose my train of thought. So it's Thursday, throwback segment. Um, the second segment today will be the NFL, the changes that are coming. And then the third segment will be about dude wipes and the emergence of adult wipes in the bathroom. So let's get it started. 1984. Um, 1984, the biggest sporting event uh, during that time period was the Olympics. The United States hosted the Olympics. Uh, Los Angeles had those. You probably, even if you're not my age, you remember seeing the pictures, the lighting of the torch, you know, Ronald Reagan, uh, uh, honorary, uh, you know, getting things started. Um, There was a lot of animosity between... United States and Europe, which led to 14 countries not participating uh, in the Olympics. So there's a lot of storylines in and around the Olympics. The biggest thing I feel like that came out of the Olympics was was two two people, um, Carl Lewis, who won four gold medals, which hasn't been done, hadn't been done since uh, Jesse Owens back in 1936. Um, you know, he, he participated in a few more Olympics after that, and a lot of track and field events became a, a household name and a mainstream star. Um, you know, parlayed that into a lot of advertising, a lot of cameo appearances and stuff like that. So Carl Lewis really did himself good by uh, winning four golds in the 1984 Olympics. Moving forward, uh, Mary Lou Retton was probably the biggest uh, star of those Olympics, petite young lady who wins the all-around gymnastics, parlays that into a, you know, a 20 or 30-year career um, with advertising dollars and stuff like that. I remember her being on the Wheaties box with the the little uh, red, white, and blue singlet after she landed the flip or whatever, you know, and, and winning gold for the United States. So those two were probably the biggest known uh, names that, uh, you know, parlay that into a, a pretty solid future. The United States as a whole won 174 gold medals that year. That's a heat. And uh, so it was, a, it was a very prosperous time for the United States. Also, it was the beginning of uh, do- the future domination of men's basketball, I guess. The uh, future dream team of Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewan, and Chris Mullen won a gold medal that year, coached by Bobby Knight. And then, you know, eight years later, started what was the dream team where they took uh, the NBA players and just dominated the world in basketball. So 1984, biggest event, the Olympics, uh, parlayed a bunch of stars into uh, or a bunch of athletes into becoming stars and household names. So I'm going to go down this list of uh, the winners in, in some of these events. Some of these seasons overlap. So like. I feel like in 1984, the 49ers beat the Dolphins. But I guess because of the championship was in January, it kind of rolls over to 85. So we'll play along like that. Um, the 84 champion here is the Raiders. They beat the Washington Redskins 38-9 in Tampa Stadium. That was the uh, Jim Plunkett, Marcus Allen. If you remember Lyle Alzado, who was a, a, a fierce defensive end for the Raiders. Um, he also you know, end up being in some movies and stuff, end up dying of brain cancer from steroid use. It was uh, allegedly, 
but uh, Marcus Allen was the MVP. Um, you know, it was a that was a good team. Tom Flores was a great coach, and uh, that was uh, it was a long gap after that that the Raiders were, were uh, you know relevant in football again, especially after Flores left. Um, Doug Flutie won the Heisman in college, and uh, Brigham Young won the national championship, which is something that probably couldn't happen today. I remember Robbie Bosco was the quarterback. They had a long line of pretty good quarterbacks with Jim McMahon and Steve Young and Brigham Young. But I don't think teams like that can compete these days, especially with the money and the advertising dollars and how networks have changed to where back then, you know, everything was pretty much three channels and now there's 300 channels. So uh, Raiders and the BYU Cougars win uh, uh, the championships in football and uh, Doug Flutie wins the Heisman. In basketball, Georgetown beat Houston. Uh, John Thompson, you remember those teams, the Patrick Ewan years, um, you know, right before next year when they lose to Villanova in the championship, which is one I remember a, a whole heap. But uh, anyway, Georgetown beats Houston 84 to 75 in basketball. Um, in the NBA, one of many. Uh, the rivalries between Bird and Magic. The uh, Celtics beat the Lakers in seven, four games to three. Um, you know, that was a the rivalry of the 80s where those teams went back and forth winning championships. Of course, the Lakers had Magic and Kareem, and then the uh, Celtics had Bird, McHale, Parrish, you know, and we – our childhood was was littered with those two teams winning a bunch of championships. The great thing about this year is then the following draft was Hakeem Olajuwon, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, and John Stockton, which, you know, that was the beginning of the cream of the crop of the NBA, especially Jordan. But Hakeem got him a couple championships as well, and uh, Stockton and Barkley both played for the championship, just never got a ring. Um, in boxing, uh, Thomas Hitman Hearns knocked out Roberto Duran, uh, to keep the WBC title. There's some controversy around that. Boxing's a weird one. There's always been controversy as long as it's been around. Um, so we'll, we'll skip down to golf. Um, Ben Crenshaw wins the Masters. I don't know if many, many of you knew who Ben Crenshaw is. It's a name you may have heard. You probably didn't see. He was on the end of his career right there. Uh, Fuzzy Zeller wins the U.S. Open. You know, Fuzzy was controversial uh, with comments when uh, Tiger was coming up to the ranks. The British Open was won by Seve Ballesteros. PGA Championship was won by Lee Trevino. Most of you probably know who Lee Trevino is. There was a Nintendo game named after Lee Trevino. Interesting fact about the PGA Tour in 1984, though. The leading money winner for that season was Tom Watson. He won $476,260. $476. Man, you can get a you can get one top ten on one weekend and make that now. As much as the money's gone crazy. Uh four hundred seventy-six thousand for Tom Watson. Um, here's some names. If you watched any uh women's LPGA. Uh, Julie Inkster won the Donna Shore. Patty Sheehan 
Sheehan won the uh, LPGA Championship. Uh, Holla Stacy won the Women's Open. And Julie Inkster won what appears to be the British Open in something that I can't pronounce. Um, the LPGA money leader that year was $266,000. So money's just been, you know, out of control. Uh, the growth, like even just winning, just winning the FedEx Cup now in the PGA, not the tournaments, just becoming the best of that year. Uh, last year, Patrick Cantley won $15 million lump sum, one-shot deal, not counting all the other money he won leading up to that. So it's crazy how much money is, has, has come along in, in, in less than 40 years. Um, it's, it's crazy amount of money. I mean, there's guys, I remember in high school, I think, the guy who finished 110th made still made $100,000, and now it's probably four or five times that. There's just so much money out there and, and so many tournaments. Um, we'll talk about horse racing. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, the Kentucky Derby was won by Swell. The Preakness was won by Gail Dancer. And then the Belmont, Swell came back and won it. Gail Dancer kept Swell from winning the Triple Crown that year. Um, you know, not many Triple Crowns. It doesn't happen very often, but Swell won two out of three. Let's go to hockey, the NHL. Uh, the leading scorer during the year, of course, was Wayne Gretzky. He was the most valuable player. He played for the Edmonton Oilers, who won the uh, Stanley Cup 4-1 to over the New York Islanders. Um, obviously, you know, we know he's called the great one for a reason. And, uh, you know, not much more to say about that um, as far as hockey goes. We talked about the Olympics. Let's talk about tennis real quick, just because it's always a uh, it's like a dying sport. When I was growing up, you had NBC and uh, you you pretty much got up and watched Wimbledon when it was around and, you know, grew up watching the Jimmy Connors and the uh, the uh, Yvonne Lindell and the uh, uh, John McEnroe's Boris Becker's all of that. And uh, it's just kind of crazy how now I don't think anybody, you know, you know the the Federers and the Dolls and the Djokovic's, but it's not like it was where, you know, that was 10 or 12 deep. And, you know, there's Chris Evan Lloyd, uh, Martina DeVartalova, all these ladies were on the TV every week um, playing, you know, tennis. They were household names. But in 84, um, the Australian Open was Mats Wielander. Um, or Wielander, it's a W, but I think it's pronounced V. Mats Wielander won the Australian Open. Yvonne Linder won the French. And then John McEnroe won Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. John McEnroe, one of the most polarizing uh, figures uh, in tennis history. Uh, and then on the women's side, Australian Chris Everett. And then Martina Navratilova won the French, the Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open. And it's crazy uh, how dominant she was in that competition between her and Chris Everett. Interesting uh, names in the Olympics that year. The gold medal winning male was Stefan Edberg, who ended up playing a good bit of uh, pro tennis in the United States. And the women's champion was Steffi Groff, who also became a household name. Um, so, you know, that, that was, that was, uh, that was big time right there. Um, We'll go to baseball real quick. Um, if you can remember, Tigers beat the Padres 
four to one. Uh, Jack Morris was the stud pitcher for the for the Tigers back then. Kurt Gibson was on that team. Uh, they won that. That's really the first year I paid attention. Big Tiger Stadium. Uh, you know, the Padres, it's weird because a lot of guys like Tony Gwynn, per se, you know, went to the playoffs, went to the World Series early in their career and then never really had a chance to do it again, even though he was one of the best. They had Goose Gossage. You know, they had some good players. You know, Andy Hawkins was uh, pretty much their ace. Um, but they just, you know, couldn't really get it done against the Tigers. Alan Trammell, uh, which I thought should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago, especially when Barry Larkin got in. I thought Alan Trammell was great. Him and Lou Whitaker uh, turning the double play right there what was always uh, one of my favorite things to watch. Like I said, Kirk Gibson, uh, Daryl Evans, uh, Lance Parrish. They had some ball players. They won that. They won that championship, that World Series championship in '84, and uh, that kind of set me off into watching uh, sports uh, every day. Um, so, Tigers win, uh, beat the Padres in uh, five games, and Alan Trammell was the MVP of that. Uh, NASCAR, you know, we talk, we're going to talk a little bit about that. You know, that was the good old days, uh, when everything was like a family, family deal. There were all the Allison's and Waltrips and Labonte's, you know, you had some young gunners coming up like a Rusty Wallace. You had all the chewing tobacco and cigarette cars, the beer, the alcohol cars. It was a good old Southern kind of deal, even though they, 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 traveled around and up north. They didn't go out west very much, but it was like a good old boy uh, system. And uh, Terry Labonte won the 1984 uh, uh, NASCAR championship. Terry Labonte was, uh, he was relevant, you know, all the way up into the early 2000s. Uh, his brother, Bobby, also won a championship driving that number 18 Interstate Batteries car. Uh, I think he clinched that at Atlanta, if I remember correct. So, Terry Labonte wins, and like I said, it's a family, a family, family kind of deal in NASCAR, as you saw with the Earnharts and, uh, um, you know, everybody else moving forward to Allison's and stuff like that. So that's pretty much a summary of what happened in 1984. I think I've covered uh, pretty much everything. I don't know a lot about, uh, you know, some of these other sports. I'm not a big soccer guy. I'll just go ahead and say that. I don't know what happened in soccer. Um, boxing was pretty limited uh, just on that one little fact. But uh, we're going to do a little more uh, in-depth reporting as it goes along. Stuff I'm more familiar with. Mike Tyson, you know, moves up there. Uh, the 86 Mets, I'll talk a lot about that once we get to 1986. Um, you know, and going forward into the 90s where I got a lot more memories of what was going on. So every Thursday, we're just going to talk about it. Just bring up the old memories of, of names you might not heard recently, uh, you know, and, and then people that you have, like the Wayne Gretzky's and the Carl Lewis, Mary Lou Retton's. The second segment of this thing, we're going to talk about coaching changes and the NFL. There's going to be a lot of talk about Aaron Rodgers and what's going on with him. I'm almost tired of it 
because it's going to become a, a hijacked situation. And it's probably going to be some collusion with him and Devontae Adams and some other players, whether he stays, goes, how much he gets paid. He's going to drag it out into the middle of next season. I mean, he is the MVP for the most part. And, and he has been a four-time, you know, a four-time MVP. So, you know, he did, didn't play well last week, which may lessen some value. But, I mean, there ain't but like 10 good quarterbacks in the league and who you going to replace him with. So, anyway, we'll talk about Aaron Rodgers probably 10 more times before they figure out something. Coaching changes. Sean Payton stepping down from the Saints. Uh, dude was suspended from the league from uh, – for uh, putting bounties on quarterbacks and other players, uh, he was he was offering like a thousand dollars to to hit hit guys hard and fifteen hundred dollars if he knocked them out of the game. I'm not sure why Sean Payton's still in the NFL uh, after something like that. I mean, you're trying to kill the brand, you're trying to trying to kill the major players in your organization by doing stupid things like that. And I'm surprised he didn't get a bigger sentence, a bigger uh, ban. Uh, that seems to be more harsh than, uh, than smoking weed uh, like Josh Gordon and getting, you know, suspended for years on end. Uh, it's weird. Um, but more importantly, I think they should have, the Saints should have fired him as soon as he, he gave uh, a Taysom Hill that big money. I wanted to keep Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston, and Trevor Simeon in the quarterback room. You go into war with them three guys on your team, man, you in big trouble. Uh, and for him to kind of orchestrate that, I think that was reason enough. Uh, they should have got rid of Sean Payton last year. Uh, losing Michael Thomas hurt. Uh, Drew Brees retiring definitely hurt. Alvin Kamara having to, having to carry the load and getting dinged up in the process didn't help. But uh, good riddance to Sean Payton, man. That guy's a snake. That guy's a punk ass. They should have got rid of him years ago. Um, it'd be interesting to see who gets the hire, you know, the job. I see candidates all over the place. Like the offensive coordinator from the Packers is a candidate and offensive coordinator for here and there and the other. It's not hard to be the offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers. Number one, he's probably going to do whatever he wants. That's what I always said about like Tom Moore for the for the Colts. Um, Peyton Manning's going to call the plays and call what he wants and do what he wants. I mean, you can give him the play, call it in, but whether he runs it or runs it like you want to, it's going to be up to Peyton Manning. They don't need an offensive coordinator. And – you know, there's so many teams that are really good on offense, and, you know, for some reason, Kellen Moore's name come up. I mean, they got, you know, all pros at every position and, and even good backups. Kellen Moore, I don't know that he's that smart. Obviously, he can't get it done in the playoffs. Maybe that's the players and maybe that's the coaching. I'm not sure. But the same thing goes for Eric Bieniemy. I mean, you look at that offense that's run by Andy Reid in Kansas City through Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Hill, Travis Kelsey, and then, you know, Pringle and Hardman and uh, Edwards, Hilaire, whoever. I mean, they got so many playmakers. I'm not sure that it warrants them to becoming uh, head coaches. And that's no knock on them. But, man, show me a team, show me a marginal team with, with less talent that makes the playoffs. That's the guy I want, the guy who can win with, with less and becomes more. And that's the problem I think we get. And this is where I was leading this to is Byron Leftwich is the number one candidate for Jacksonville. He played there. But is he a candidate if Jameis Winston's still the quarterback at Tampa Bay? Is he a candidate if Tom Brady, uh, Gronkowski, 
uh, you know, other guys, Antonio Brown even was a, was a, was a big member of that uh, Super Bowl team, Fournette. You know, he had all, you know, he had all, all pros up and down the board on the line, playmakers, deep backfield. Defense was really good last year. They won the Super Bowl. But that's a Tom Brady thing. So is this a Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniels deal where Tom Brady gets somebody else a, a, a really good job? Even Romeo Cornell and those guys have taken head coaching jobs and failed because they were part of the Patriots who dominated for 20 years or the majority of 20 years. Um, so I think we're giving too much credit to maybe Byron Leftwich. Not to say he won't be a good coach. And he does check the boxes for the NFL, the Rooney Rule or whatever. Uh, it's a black head coach. And I got no problem with that. I mean, Mike Tomlin is one of my favorite head coaches. Tony Dungy did a hell of a job as a head coach. It's not a black or white thing for me. It's, is he qualified? Can he take the Jaguars, who are way, way different than Tampa Bay? You know, Trevor Lawrence is young. They, they got James Robinson. They got a couple wide receivers. They drafted Travis Etienne, who tore his ACL. He'll be back. They need help on the defensive side. So what can what can Byron Leftwich do better than the previous coaching staff or Urban Meyer? Can he get them to six wins, eight wins? Can they make the playoffs? I don't think anybody can with the current roster. So I just don't know, man. It, it might be a situation where you might want to take some time and maybe not take this job. I know you, you, you always want to take that head coaching job and get that advancement, especially get that paycheck, but you're almost set up to fail, like in the Giants or the Jets and Jacksonville. You don't have – you're not going to have any tools to win, especially in that division. So, you know, I don't know uh, who they should hire, but, but cherry-picking guys who play under Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, the Peyton Mannings, those are products of the players, not products of the system. And I think it may be a, a mistake if they go in there and grab Byron Leftwich right now. I'm not sure until he proves if he if he if he can put Tampa Bay in the NFC championship game next year with whoever replaces Tom Brady, then I might give him a nod. But I'm just not feeling it. So I, 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 I'm glad Sean Payton's gone. I'm not sure about Byron Leftwich. I'm not sure about the guy from the Packers who's the uh, the uh, backup – I mean the uh, offensive coordinator. I just don't know. I really don't know who's qualified. You never know. It's a crapshoot. But, I mean, just because you're good with Tom Brady, I don't think qualifies you as being a head coach. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up with this. I'm just curious. Uh, I do home inspections for a living, so I'm in and out of a lot of homes. Uh, I check, you know, everything from the crawl space to the garage, the attic, and the bathroom. And something I've noticed in nearly every home around is some sort of wipes on the toilet. Sometimes it's dew wipes. We got dew wipes at the uh, bathroom at the, at, the, at the office. And I'm just curious. Like, I know it's a, a thing that's out there. They put a lot of money into it. They advertise it. I know there was a toilet paper, a toilet paper shortage. And I guess a wet wipe is probably easier to, to take care of business than maybe dry toilet paper. But how often are you using these? And, and what for? Is it a cleanliness thing? Is it a comfort thing? I've got some in my golf bag just in case. 
nature calls and I'm out there on the back nine and I don't have access to a toilet. Fortunately, I haven't had to use any of them. Um, but I'm just curious for, for any of you guys who are listening, is your normal routine like hit it with the Charmin and finish with the dude wipe or use the whole thing with the dude wipe? Or is it just for a messy blowout after uh, Taco Tuesday? I really don't know. I'm curious. I'm actually, I need a way to put a uh, forum underneath these. I might have built a website or, or post these on a, some sort of forum to get the answers because I don't know. And there's really no way to interact with me uh, when I ask these questions or even to tell me where I'm wrong on some of these uh, some of these things I say. Need some interaction with the, with the, with the fans here. But uh, I'm curious as a 40 mid 40s. And I figure most of the people who are listening are in their 40s. Um, most of them are male. But I mean, if females got an answer, that's fine too. But I'm just curious with the uh, phenomenon of uh, male-dominated uh, wipes. I mean, they're called dude wipes. They're not called dudette wipes. What is what is the take? What is the use? Um, how often are you using these things? Under what situations? Is it an everyday thing or is it just a special occasion thing? Or is it like an extra messy thing? So somebody's got to tell me something. You know, I, I see them in just about every home. Maybe it's an old thing. Maybe, you know, most of these people are older. Maybe it's a hemorrhoidal thing. I don't know. But I am looking for answers. So if you can lead me in the right direction as to why these things have become a, a popular household item, I'd appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Uh, tomorrow's Friday. I'm going to do a uh, preview of the... Uh, the two uh, NFC and AFC championship games, my breakdown, uh, the Rams, 49ers, and the Bengals and Chiefs, who's going to the Super Bowl, and, uh, you know, what else, whatever else is going on in the world. Probably do a, a couple show previews, things I've been watching, I've been hearing, been seeing, and then uh, look forward to Sunday, me and Kurt, barring a uh, – nor'easter barring another snowstorm in the midlands area we're gonna try to do a live show uh youtube and podcast on sunday morning uh we got some things to talk about maybe outdated by now but we're still gonna talk about them so stay tuned to that for the youtube channel rhino live show uh make sure to like and subscribe to uh this uh, rhino and curtis podcast on spotify iTunes, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Appreciate y'all listening. Talk to y'all tomorrow.